If you would, if you have your Bible here, your device, uh, click, scroll, flip, whatever you have to do, uh, get to Joshua chapter 14 this morning is where we're going to be continuing on our journey through the conquest of the book of Joshua. We have come to a section, uh, as we had mentioned, we are going to be jumping over uh, uh, a varied portions of, uh, of, the, of the allotting of the land. Uh, and so I'll show you some various, I'll show you a map this morning, just recognizing where all of these land possessions were of the 12 tribes. But I wanted to remind us as we walk through and now being, uh, you know, really closer to the end of our study, when we'll be wrapping up the book of Joshua in the month of July, but recognizing that the story of the conquest is not about a single individual, although today we are going to be talking about Caleb's conquest of the land that had been allotted to him. But in the, all the stories of the conquest, it starts, it begins, and it ends with the person that we came to worship this morning, which is God. It is ultimately a story of God's faithfulness in the midst of the conquest and God's faithfulness specifically to people like Joshua, to people like Caleb. And we make that transference in our own life that this very faithful, promise-keeping God is faithful to us. And as we walk through the story, here we land in, in Joshua chapter 14. We're going to be in verse 6 because this begins the story of Caleb's, uh, Caleb's request and his inheritance. But back up, if you would, to Joshua chapter 13 for a moment just to gather the setting of what is happening at this stage of the conquest. Joshua chapter 13, verse number one. It says, Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. He said, This is the land that yet remains, all the regions of the Philistines, and those of the Geshurites, and all these various lands. And he, you notice, he gets down to verse number six, and he makes this statement, all the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon and onward, he says, I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. This has been the constant factor in the life of the people of Israel in the, in the, in, in the, the pursuit of the conquest of the land. It was that God would be with them, God would be near them. It would be that God would never leave them or forsake them. But what did they have to do? You remember this? They had to make sure that they would never turn from the things that God told them to do, from the right or to the left. They would meditate on God's word on a daily basis so that they would make sure that they would do the things that God had called them to do. Now, in the life of the conquest, and this portion of the conquest, if you were to go back, and I would encourage you to do so, because we can't read all of these chapters, but you can in your private devotions. But in Joshua 13, all the way through Joshua 19, you, you begin to have this incredible story leading all the way up to the inheritance of the land. It's, it's quite a remarkable thing we've been covering. Land and city after city, God's faithfulness. He's knocking down walls. He's, he's defeating people. They're obeying him, devoting to destruction, doing all that God had told them to do, even when it was hard. And then you start to read in Joshua chapter 13, as the land begins to be allotted, a very interesting reality. 
Now let's take a look at this for just a moment just so that you and I can get a, our mind around the, the conquest and the inheritance of the land. Your map is a little bigger than mine on there, so I'm going to try to read as well as I can. But notice the story of Caleb's conquest is all the green portion in the south. Now look at that in comparison to the rest, to the rest of the other tribes. This was an enormous piece of land. In fact, the land was so big that Caleb was supposed to, and the, and the, and the people of Judah, because he was part of those people, the land was so big, you find out that, the, that the, the tribe of Simeon was given a piece of that land right in the very middle of the land of Judah for one primary reason that the Bible records in the conquest, because it's too big for Judah. And so they needed help. And in every single way, when God even allotted land, it's quite fascinating that if something was difficult for them, he had a, a, a help that was along the way. And in this case, it was the help of another tribe. You see right in the very middle of the map, you have an interesting story, which we can't go very much into, but you begin to see this. The tribe of Dan is right in the middle, and it goes from the middle of the land of Palestine all the way to the coast. Now on the people on the coast were some of the most difficult people because on the coast you had the Philistines, you had, you had chariots, and you had areas of land where were much more difficult with the people who could, who could ride horses and they could defeat you, very different than the hill countries. And if you notice on the very, uh, at the very top of your map, you notice this? There's a little piece up there that says Dan. And in the Bible, you'll read through the life of the conquest and all throughout the rest of the Old Testament, you'll hear this measurement of the land of Israel. And they'll say something like this, from Dan to Beersheba. You know, what you ought to be asking yourself at that particular moment is this question, what is Dan doing up there? Dan doesn't belong there. Dan belongs by the coast. As the time of the conquest was difficult, and as time they had a hard time defeating people in the land, all of a sudden Dan and a portion of Dan's tribe migrated to the far north and defeated this small community called Laish. And there they remained. And in the Old Testament story, all of a sudden, the tribe of Dan takes a priest, they set up an altar, they bring a calf in, and you can only think about where this headed. This was a small reality of the life of the conquest. Up to this point, it was like, yes, God did it again. Yes, God did it again. And do you notice this? Now we get into portions where you start reading in Joshua 13, 13. Notice this. Yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites and the Machathites, but Geshur and Machath dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. Joshua 15, 63 but the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the people of Judah could not drive out. So the Jebusites dwell with the people of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. Joshua 17 verse 12. Yet the people of Manasseh could not take possession of those cities. But the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. Joshua 18 3. So Joshua said to the people of Israel, how long will you put off going in to take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given to you? Are you noticing the theme and the problem beginning to arise in the life of the conquest? 
God's saying, I promise you, I'll be with you, I'll fight for you, I've proven this, you can have it. Now he says to Joshua, you are old and advanced in years. And I think it's interesting that Joshua 13, he begins to recount Joshua's life and ministry, and he says to him this statement like, Joshua, you are old. And he says it twice And and Joshua, he says, you're advanced in years, and there is a lot of work left to be done. There's a point here that I think this is recorded in the the book of Joshua for, for us to constantly remember that when a great leader like Moses passes, and God raises up another good leader like Joshua in the Old Testament, that when that leader begins to fade and grow advanced in years, It is the plan of God to always raise up another leader who will be faithful to God. That is always God's plan. He always appears to be so far ahead of us, he knows who's coming next, when, where, and why. And yet, in contrast to the life of Caleb, it's like, Joshua, you're old. Caleb, you're old, but you're strong. He's making this deliberate conquest, and this has been a hard ministry in a sense for Joshua. He's now allotted the 12 tribes the land. You remember on the west side of the Jordan River, you had two tribes, Reuben and, and, uh, Reuben and Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh. And then the other half of the tribe of Manasseh gets another portion on the eastern side, okay, uh, or on the eastern and western side. And now they all start flowing in. Benjamin gets the area where Jerusalem was, and it says of the Benjamites that they did not, they were not able or unwilling to kick out the Jebusites of Jerusalem, and there they are to this day. It should remind us, by the way, that when we get into 2 Samuel, it's built on the conquest. So that when you get to David and Goliath, you go, What is Goliath doing there? Goliath is a remnant of a reality that they didn't fulfill the conquest. And the reason David, who was raised up as another leader after Saul, was because there was still work to be done. And I would just challenge you and encourage you this this morning. Perhaps some of you have been here for a lifetime at the chapel. And you are old. There is something privileged about being old, isn't there? I know many times young people will look at that gray head of hair and say, they're out of touch. They're out of tune. They don't get it. No, the reality is, is that when you live a life to that degree of fullness, you have the opportunity to look back and see all that God has done and many of you here could, could repeat that story in the life of the chapel. Many of you can repeat that story in the life of your family. You can remember when your children were saved and now they're married and some of their children are be- becoming faithful followers of Jesus Christ. You have an opportunity to see how faithfulness works and, and how it's worked out in the life of believers. It is so important for us to remember in the story of the conquest that we are talking about God's faithfulness. 
And this morning, as we think about this reality in the text before us, it, it is God's desire that his followers, for his followers to be an example of faithfulness. Why? Because he is faithful. And I think the story of the conquest speaks a message that is so loud and clear, and I think it's partly this. Even when you and I are unfaithful to him, he will never be unfaithful to you. You can mark that down in the life of the conquest, in the life of God's people, in the life of Christians. This is something we as Christians celebrate. Our God is so faithful even when we are faithless. And we have a hard time living by faith. So before we go and get all over the people of Israel for not fulfilling the conquest, think about your own life for a moment and your last week and your last month and your last year. How many times you acted in faithlessness to God and yet God's faithfulness to you remained. This is a God who loves us. These are the truths that we begin to, to focus on in the life of the conquest. For example, why is this so incredible to the life of a Christian? Well, partly it's because we have verses like 1 John 1, 9. Notice this. If we confess our sins, there it is, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice this statement that Moses gives in Deuteronomy 32.4. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Christians, this is your God. This is the one who remains faithful. This is the one who loves us in spite of our inadequacies, in spite of the sinfulness that still resides in our, our struggle with him, our sinful flesh and impulses. Most often, if you were to go to a systematic theology book and look under the characteristics or the attributes of God, you would notice that so often in almost all of the systematic theology books that faithfulness is connected with truthfulness. In fact, the reality is it, faithfulness is bore out of this word in the Old Testament in the language, in the Hebrew language, that means truth-filled. He is so truthful and can be nothing else that therefore he is faithful to what? To his own words and true his character. These are interconnected in a way that we begin to view God. He is so faithful to us. This is why in 1 John 1, 9, by the way, and, and you may be in that predicament as we come, and we're going to be taking the Lord's table this morning. You have lived, perhaps, and you have looked at your own life and prepared your own heart this morning and found yourself that you've areas where you have not been as faithful to the Lord. You can confess your sin, and he is faithful. Do you realize that his faithfulness, your forgiveness, your confession is not built on your faithfulness? It's built on someone greater. It is built on his faithfulness. And you know what that means, that he is faithful? If we begin to understand this idea of this marker of faithfulness, it means reliable. How would you like to serve a God who is unreliable. 
Me wondering every morning, is he going to do something good? Does he know my needs? Does he know my family? What about my illness? What about my discouragement? What about my anxiety? Well, he's good for that. He's good for organizing the structure of the church. But is he faithful enough to provide us a word that is sufficient for everything in life? By the way, that's what the the whole class that Ben is teaching on counseling and community is all about. It's about the sufficiency of the word of God, which we can now understand is truthfulness and his faithfulness, so that when we live our lives, we are never uh, tempted to believe, oh, well, the Bible doesn't talk about that. We've got to go somewhere else to get instruction. The word of God is so absolutely adequate for your faith and everything going on in your spiritual walk with God, that you can trust it. It is the single most reliable source for faith and practice in which you will ever find. Which means we've got to read it. You've got to be in it. You've got to be in your devotions. You've got, to, you've got to be doing things that nurture this development and understanding of God's faithfulness to you because you're going to be reminded of your own unfaithfulness and inadequacies to him. And you are going to need to go to a God and confess your sin and, that, and you'll be certainly thankful that he is reliable and faithful to you. And guess what? Your forgiveness is, and even after you go and confess, it's still not about you. Get that. It's about, it's about trusting in God's reliable nature to do what he promised. And you know what he promised in 1 John 1, 9? To forgive and cleanse. If you're here this morning and you're anything like me, I'm assuming you are, you are a sinner. Some of you, that was like shocking revelation this morning. We sinners need Jesus Christ. It is not our good works. It is not our faithfulness to him. It is his faithfulness to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's why it is ridiculous to imagine or think or have any other theological persuasion whatsoever that somehow my good efforts or good works could somehow do something to benefit me salvation. It is all by grace. It is all by God's mercy. That's how every one of us come to saving faith in in Jesus Christ. We repent of our sin We trust in the faithfulness of God in the work of Jesus Christ, his son, because it is reliable. And he is so faithful to us over and over and over again that in our lives he continues to demonstrate this reality. I want to see some marks of a faithful follower which is in the life of Caleb. Notice in, in verse number six. It says, And the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh, uh, Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly Followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land 
on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and for your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Here you have a recounting of the first mark, and it's this. Faithful followers remain devoted to the Lord. Perhaps as you evaluate your own life and your own perspective this morning, and you think to yourself, I hope you're asking this. How faithful of a follower am I to my Savior who gave everything to me, who sacrificed for me? Will I honestly... Am I at a spot in my life where I am willing to recognize that I am a person who is in desperate, desperate need of Jesus Christ? You and I, we need him like the air that we breathe. For us to honestly come to a conclusion, any part of any one of our days and say, well, I really don't need him today. Oh, we are mistaken. Faithful followers remain. Here you have this account. Now Joshua comes in. He's old and advanced in years. And I can only just, I only picture this in my mind's eye as part of the story. There was probably some really uh, close connection that Joshua and Caleb had. Here these were friends. And do you realize they're the only two left from the previous generation that were able to see the promised land? Everyone else that they knew was dead and gone. And yet for Joshua to go, ah, here comes Caleb. Man, I love that guy. This was my partner. This was one of the 12. And Caleb comes and he says and records to Joshua, this is not some arrogant plea, please don't view this from Caleb. Hey, you know what? I'm good. (laughs) I'm strong. No, he's just recounting the words that Moses had been given. And he was saying, listen, this is what was told to me. This is what God promised to me. And he says, and he, and he, and he records to Joshua, this, what was, this is what was in my heart. Recount, and maybe even write in your margin, a connection back to Numbers 13 and 14 with the first area of the conquest. I mean, do you just remember this? Could you imagine what it would have been like This is the area to the south. This is where they would have entered the promised land in Kadesh Barnea. I mean, they had wandered the wilderness that looked like this for for almost 40 years. I mean, some of you have been wandering, but I guarantee not that long, and I guarantee you not in a context like this. Last time I checked, most of us are living in a house and not a tent. Most of us have running water, bathrooms, and a whole lot of amenities. Here, Joshua, he, Caleb comes to Joshua and records this reality. And he says, I want to go in and I'm going to fight these people. Kadesh Barnea was the farthest south on your map. You can go even further down from Hebron. But there they were, the 12 spies in Numbers 13 and 14. And they send them into the land and they go in. And what is some of the first thing they see in the land of Judah? Wow, now that's a little different than the wilderness. You wonder why they came back with clusters filled with grapes in a land flowing with milk and honey. Of the two tribes, uh, of the two individuals that came back, here Caleb says, I want this. You might not be able to make it out, but you can see this is a vast pasture land filled with great soil. 
filled with all kinds of vineyards. And remember what God would have promised. I'm going to give you lands that didn't belong to you, houses that you didn't build. I'm going to allow you to reap the harvest of things you didn't plant. And Caleb goes in, still at 85 years old, saying, I believe, I believe that you will do what you told me you would do. And based on God's promises and truthfulness, Caleb confidently goes into Joshua and he says, I'm going to go take this land, Joshua. And his devotion to the Lord was remarkable at the age of 85. Let me just say this to you. You don't become an 85-year-old faithful man unless you devote yourself to the Lord and you live a life of being faithful as a young man. You're a faithful old man because you're, you, you, de- you determine to be a faithful young man. Believers, so often we think, perhaps, that just because of the color of our hair, that somehow we have more wisdom. But I've met many gray-haired people that lack a lot of God's wisdom. That's no knock on all of us or any of us with gray beards. Because every time I go back home or uh, I I see people who haven't seen me in a while, one of the comments that I now start getting at, at 45 years old, and you think, man, you are young. Some of you are saying that. But the first response I get back, they say, You are grayer than the last time I saw you. Grayer doesn't mean wiser all the time. But it should be our goal that the grayer we get and the more advanced in years we become that is matched by a determination and faithful service of following Jesus Christ and his word. Caleb was this kind of man. Caleb was the man who came in when everyone else, you notice in this story in the account that he remained faithful. He goes into the land. They come back and report it to, to Moses. You remember this, Numbers 13? And it says, everyone else says their hearts were melting before them. And Caleb and Joshua are like, we got this. Yeah, there's giants. Yeah, we look small. But we'll chop them down. No big deal. Because God is with us. And he is making mention of his remaining faithful in connection with a different kind of heart attitude. Christian, I think it begs the question for us in this context. Will you and I remain faithful even if everyone else determines to act faithless? That's a choice you have to make. That's a choice I have to make. It's a choice we wake up and have to make each and every day. Well, what if, what if your children don't remain faithful? Is that a reason to say, well, I don't know if this whole thing of biblical parenting worked? No. Will you remain faithful even if no one else here remains faithful? Even if someone else's heart is melting, discouraged, anxious, and says, you know what? The Lord can't do it. I don't know what he's doing. Let's get out of here. Will you remain faithful to him? Because he will be faithful to you. Caleb was that kind of individual and the totality of his life was, was marked by a faithful devotion to God's word. I think it's so interesting that, that all of his age was mentioned. I mean, he was coming into Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land at 40 years old. 
So he's in his 40s. Now he's 85 years old. And, he's, and notice the contrast. Joshua, you're getting old. You're getting advanced. It's hard for you to come in and out. Some of you know what that feels like. I'm beginning to start feel like that after I get back from pickleball with my kids and think, what did I do? I'm reminded of this text. You are older and advanced in years than them. You will not recover as fast. And yet with Caleb, it says that he's 85 years old. Now, if you're 85 here, wouldn't you love to have that strength now? I mean, you would love to have the kind of vitality uh, of, of what it was like when you were 40 years young, and all of a sudden Caleb is that, it, that individual whose heart remained faithful and that his life was a consistent perspective of faithfulness to his God. Notice this, he not only remained faithful, but faithful followers also recognize who gives the strength. Notice in verse numbers 10, uh, as you look in, in, in Joshua 14, in verse number 10, it makes mention of this. He says, and now behold, the Lord has kept me alive just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord has spoke his word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness and now behold, I am this day 85 years old. Think of the things that Caleb would have seen. The things that he would remember that no one else remembered. The disobedience, the plagues in the wilderness, the serpent in the wilderness that had to be lifted up by Moses. All the things of time, the complaining of the people, both rejoicing and weeping, he would remember all of it. You know, if any of those bad moments that Caleb would have had in his own mind to say, I don't know, why did this God bring us out here? Because that's what it seemed everyone else was thinking. You brought us out to the wilderness to die, and Caleb's heart remained faithful to say, no, he's got a plan. We just got to wait for it. We just got to wait for it. It doesn't matter even today if you belong to the generation who will live and die and, and you go before so many of your loved ones and God determines that his faithfulness, he will come at a later date. You and I have to remain faithful through the whole of our lives. Foolishness to, to think that we have some control over our life and endeavors. God is the one who numbers your days. God is the one who gives strength. Caleb said, I know, he gave me strength. Believers, that is as true for Caleb as it is for us today. No matter of amount of what you do, no, no circumstances that befall you, God has numbered your days in a way that you cannot circumvent that plan. That doesn't mean go about and live recklessly. Like, don't go take a semi-truck head on and say, I wonder if it's this. Don't be stupid. You can be foolish and end your days early, the proverb said. But that's out of foolishness. God knows the totality of your life, and he wants to, to be marked by a faithful individual for its wholeness. Don't, be, don't just come back and be that person who's lying on your deathbed filled with all kinds of regrets, and I've seen this before, and the pain and reality and sin and guilt and shame that exists for the person who says, I just wish I would have followed him closer. I knew what to do, I didn't do it, and now here I am. 
the pain that exists for that person. It doesn't mean God's faithfulness is any less for him, but he experiences the reality that he should or she should have done more with their life. Believers, you and I, we have one life, just one. And most of us might make it to 85. What will you do with that? Will you live your life in levels of earthly pleasures and joys and satisfaction only to wake up on your deathbed one day wonder, thinking to yourself, what have I done? Or will you take today as a subtle reminder from a God who is faithful to you that it matters how you live your life? It matters how you're a husband. It matters how you're a wife. It matters how you're a young person. It matters your testimony in the community. It matters what kind of boss you are. It matters what kind of church member you become. It matters when you take the Lord's table and you examine your heart, whether or not you're, you're in the faith, and it matters whether or not you're willing to confess your sin. It all matters to him. He wants us to remain faithful through our whole lives and recognize that even when we do it, it is him that is working in us and through us to accomplish his incredible plan. Faithful followers are committed to be an example to others. I love this reality uh, when we come to this particular text in verse number 12. And Caleb says this statement. So now he says to Joshua, give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Now, if you were going to be able to go into Joshua and pick your inheritance, I mean, would you say, give me the giants? You wouldn't. You might be with half-tribe of Dan in the north. But Caleb is a different sort. Caleb says, I've heard about these guys. I've heard about these gigantic men of old. In fact, we cut a few of those down on the way into the promised land and the land of Og and the land of Bashan because it's recorded. If you look, you can, you can even find this in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy where it records the kingdom of Og and it records that his bed was nine cubits long, equivalent of some 13 feet tall if you take bed size equivalent to person size. This is huge people. Remnants of the Anakim there. Here he said, we've cut some of these down. I've done this before. I'll take this land. In fact, I'll take the hill country. I'm not just going to take the, the, the shoreline. I'm going to defeat those people. I'm going to take the hill country that's even harder to defeat because they can run back up into the hill country and hide and we'll chase them down and I will do whatever God asks me to do. That kind of commitment ought to be the example of the Christian community that says whatever God asks us to do, however hard it may be, no matter how difficult that task might be, I will do it. I will, I will go out and I will set out to be faithful. Why? Because we go with the promises of God. He will be with us. That has not stopped. Because God has not changed. And the life of the people, he says this. And it, do you catch this phrase? I'm going to go in on how the Anakim were there with great fortified city, and it may be that the Lord will be with me. Now, don't read it this way. 
well, I'm not sure if God's going to be with me or not, but uh, I guess I'll go anyway. No, that's not how it's stated. What he's trying to express, this idea of maybe the Lord will be with me, is this reality that it's an expression of hope. Since the Lord is going to be with me, I'll take him. Because I couldn't do this by myself, but with his help, I can do anything he's asked me to do. He'll fight for me. He'll be with me. He'll be faithful to me. And so I'll go. It's usually this expression of a hope, and God will be with him. Caleb's faith was not some passive faith, and let go and let God, and come on, follow me, guys. Let's go go to the Anakim. No, it was active. Christian, how active is your faith? Would you be like that? Would you be like Caleb? Would you go into the land that's difficult? Would you say, God, you can give me difficult things. And I don't go to bed every night going, God, tomorrow, give me something a little harder, would you? That was easier. He determines the difficulty of my days. I get to determine how I respond to what God puts before me. But I respond in light of his commitment to me and how reliable he is and how faithful he will be. I don't have to fear what tomorrow will bring because that's got enough trouble of its own, Matthew 6 says. All you have to do today is just be faithful to him the rest of your day. Break it down into small, bite-sized pieces. He isn't Saying to you, hey, let me tell you, this is what's all going to befall you. No, no one would want to wake up. No one would want to get up in the morning. He says, just take today. That's enough for you. That's enough for me. Live faithful to him each and every day. Be committed. Why? Because this is an example to other people. We ought to learn what Christian commitment looks like, not only through the life and work of Jesus Christ, but through the life and work of other Christian people. Could somebody look and, and say, look it, here's a, here's a model for faithfulness. If you're afraid to disciple people because you are afraid to follow and be faithful to God, there's a problem. Be committed to be faithful, and then you can then teach other people what that is going to look like. You can't say, follow me as I don't follow him. You have to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Be committed today, believer. Young and old, to rely on God's faithfulness to us so that it would work within us a faithfulness to our God who will never be unfaithful to us. It should be our life's pursuit that we remain faithful the entirety of our life. Why? Because faithful followers will experience God's blessing for their obedience. Now, if you just say to yourself, well, I'll think about being obedient because there's some blessings involved now, and you can get something out of this deal, that's the wrong motivation. But the reality is, is that when followers of God, they, they generally experience God's blessing, they always tend to experience it. It doesn't mean that you're going to go through easy things. You can, be, you can experience blessings even through the midst of hardship. Oh, so many different times as a pastor through the years, as I've watched people with illnesses unto death, 
stand by their bedside, stand with family, and have them be a testimony of God's faithfulness and the blessings that are standing around that bedside with them. Oh, to hear them say, it's okay, family. I'm going to be up there waiting for you. We're just going to be apart for a little while, and we're going to see each other again. The blessing that you will experience may not come just on this side. It's for sure coming on the next side after death. But you'll experience many good things. This is why, by the way, I think we need to be really good at being people who are thankful. Think of all the blessings that exist just in each person in in this room today. You think if you're a parent, you remember that little one coming into the world, and you see them, you can remember those moments. What a blessing they have been to you. That husband, that wife, that grandparent, that faithful friend, the church who remained faithful to the testimony of the word, people that you sat in Sunday school with. You know what? Even down to the car you drive, and I've seen some nice cars in this parking lot. God has blessed us beyond measure. It's not for us to just go, well, yeah, of course he does. Look what he's working with. It is our duty and response to say, I don't own or deserve any of this. Remind yourself, believer, God is a God of faithfulness, but he is a God of blessing. It's the whole point of Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. People recounting the blessings and cursings. Please, I would beg you this morning, Christian brothers and sisters, follow the Lord in faithfulness. It is the best place to be. It is the most vibrant place to be. It is not always the easiest place to be. But it is the place where you will find recorded over and over and over in countless lives that God is at work in this people. And if you're here and you're looking for a church, let me encourage you. This is a place where you are going to see God at work in people. You're going to see God at work when it's hard to to watch people go through trials, tribulation. I've seen it in a short period of time that I was here. And it's compelled me to even continue to be more faithful to him. Surround yourself with people who are faithful to the living God. The more that we continue to do this, we remind ourselves not of just the reality of Caleb's faithfulness, but Caleb was faithful because of his God who was faithful to him. And that faith in his God compelled him to be a faithful individual in the wholeness of his life. Notice this verse in Lamentations 3 as we close up this morning. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. You and I, we have a duty to have the kind of faithfulness at the very core of our heart, who we are. What it means this morning, you have to grapple with, do I even recognize God's faithfulness? Do I even know what that looks like? So you read the pages of the Bible and you can see the faithfulness of God through the work of the Son. 
The one who would bear all the sins of the world upon himself. And Jesus, who would be hanging on the cross, and he would say these incredible words, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing, and yet I'll be faithful to them. I will die for the sins of the whole world. This is God's faithfulness in our, in, revealed in the pages of Scripture. Get to know God, get to know Jesus, and you will begin to understand what faithfulness is so that you can then model your life after what God says he is like. Then you can be like that. But it also takes your affections this morning. You can know what faithfulness is this morning. You can look at Caleb's life and say, wow, I'd love to be that person. I'd love to take on any task God would give me to do and just remain faithful and get to the end of my life and have put on my tomb one word, faithful. You won't do it if you don't want to. No one here can conjure up your affections. No one here can say, you know what? I can't look at my kids as I try to, to rear them and dismiss them. It's like, you need to love loving God right now. Do it. Go. It doesn't work that way. If you walk out of here even knowing God's faithfulness, you still have a choice based upon your affections. You won't do it if you want to, which means you have to ask and I have to ask the question, do I want and desire to live a life of faithfulness to him? Do you want it, Christian? Do you want that? Is it the desire of your heart? Do you desire to be a faithful husband? Do you desire to be a faithful wife? Do you desire to be a, a faithful young person, a college student, older person, you name it? Are you desirous to be faithful? Because if you're not, it's just lip service to a God who is so reliable to us, and yet we have a responsibility not only to know it, but to have our affections stirred in such a way that we walk out of here going, I'm going to be more faithful this week. Because that's what he's called me to do. And there's nothing better in my life that I could give any amount of effort and energy towards than to be faithful to my God. In the quiet moments of my life, when no one else sees me, if you're sitting in front of a computer screen, no matter where you are, in your workplace, on your break, in the car, does not matter. Does God see that you desire to be faithful to him? Because Christian, even when he sees, when you struggle with it, he will be faithful to you. And you can walk away thinking, I don't deserve that. Why would he be faithful to me? But he does, and you know why? He doesn't only just desire to be faithful. He loves being faithful to you. He loves exemplifying the character of God to the people that he's come to save. Which means we're left with a choice. Will you choose to be more determined to be faithful to him this week? Maybe it's just finally picking up your Bible and starting to have your devotions. Will you choose to be more faithful in your church attendance? So often people think, oh, I'll kind of come and hit or miss, and if it revolves around whatever's going on in my world, then I'll do it. But if it doesn't, then I'll just kind of take it or leave it. No, Christian, You've got to be committed to the things that God calls you to be committed to. The more that you look to be faithful, there are more enjoyment, the more satisfaction that you will experience in your life. And we'll be reminded 
that his mercies are new every morning because our God will never stop being faithful to us. As we go into the Lord's table this morning, and as I have a word of prayer, it's the duty of the Christian to examine himself according to 1 Corinthians, where it says, whoever eats of the bread and drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We remember this this morning because we desire to remember God's faithfulness to us in the work of the Son. Examine your heart this morning. As I get done praying, the worship team's going to be coming up here. I would invite you to examine your heart. See, one, if you're not of the faith, don't take it. This is a time for you to sit and reflect. If you're of the faith, you ought to be reflecting to yourself, are my relationships right? Do I have unity with people? Am I right with the Lord? You can make that right. You can make that right with people. You can make those things right with God. You can do that right now, even in the quietness of your own pew that you're sitting in. Take it because, and do that because God desires faithfulness. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we know that we are a people who still struggle with the sinful impulses of the flesh. Who in many respects live our weeks and moments still struggling to be people filled with faith and act in faith. But we thank you so much that we don't have to fill ourselves. You've filled us by the work of the Spirit of God and you've sealed us till the day of redemption so that, and then you've empowered us by the work of the Spirit that lives within us to produce fruits of the Spirit like love and joy and peace. Lord, help us to be these kind of faithful followers of you Lord, as we examine our own hearts at just this moment before we take at the Lord's table together, that it would be a renewed commitment each and every month to examine our lives and say, I just want to be more faithful to a God who is faithful to me. In your name we pray, amen.